Ladies and gentlemen, what an extraordinary moment this is. The perfect moment for me to make a little announcement I've been sitting on for some time. When young Harry here stepped into Flourish and Blotz today, he only wanted to buy my autobiography, which I shall be happy to present to him now, free of charge. He had no idea that he would shortly be getting much, much more than my book, Magical Me. He and his schoolmates will, in fact, be getting the real Magical Me. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I have great pleasure and pride in announcing that this September, I will be taking up the post of Defense Against the Dark Arts Teacher at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Lit to Lens podcast, a safe place for folks who like the book better than the movie. Today we are doing Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, which is the second book uh, in that series. We are recording this on Sunday, January 31st. Uh, be sure to check out our most recent episode on Adaptation, which is based on the novel The Orchid Thief, streaming everywhere you get your podcasts. I am with the member of House Hufflepuff, Dutch Angle Enthusiast, and the Muggle-born Mudblood, Mr. Eric. Say hello to the people, E. Hello, people. But again, well, don't call me, don't call me a Mudblood. And I'm definitely not a Hufflepuff. I think that's kind of offensive as well. I took the Pottermore quiz uh, a couple years ago, and I am... Uh, a full-fledged Slytherin, so I just want that on the record. Is that right? Well, I guess you are more blonde than redhead, so maybe that makes sense. Yeah, I got a little um, Malfoy in me. I'm cunning, uh, I think is a, a quality. <laughs> I'm two-faced because I'm also a Gemini, right? So that's a, that's a very Slytherin thing. Oh, I didn't know that. There you go. You and, you and Donald Trump. Well, he, we share a birthday, but that's really the only commonality that we have. <laughs> yeah, so they say. <laughs> Um, so yeah, today we're doing Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Uh, we watched it last night at the Little Lens headquarters and it's long. It's two hours, 40 minutes. I think it's um, the longest movie of them all. It is. Which is yeah, it wild. Is. Yeah. It's weird. Why, why this one? Well, Would they make so long? We'll never know. It makes no sense. Yeah. Um, but before we get into the, uh, dissection of the adaptation, um, in the film, we have some fast facts. So the novel, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, like we said before, was published in July 1998 in the UK, a year later in the US, uh, written by J.K. Rowling. I'm sure you all are aware of her. Uh, it has a Goodreads rating of 4.43. Um, the movie, same uh, same title, uh, was released in November 2002, directed by Chris Columbus, who is known for Home Alone, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, and Bicentennial Man. Um, written for the screen by a man named Steve Cloves, uh, who uh, wrote the screenplay for Wonder Boys, which is based on a Michael Chabon uh, novel. I think that's how you say it, right? Chabon? 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 Could be. I don't know. Michael? Chabon? Yeah. We'll get him on the pod and ask. Um, starring Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, Rupert Grint, John Cleese, Kenneth Branagh, Alan Rickman, among many others. Run Tomato score of 82%, Metacritic 63 So... Pretty pretty well liked. I'd agree with that. I, I uh, when you talked about Chris Columbus, I, I do wonder how many times he gets the joke where like uh, Chris Columbus has done Home Alone, Home Alone Two, and you know, quote unquote, discovered America. I'm sure he gets that a lot. Yeah, probably every time somebody talks to him. That's it's kind of a tough name to have, really. Like of all the names, Chris <clears throat> Columbus is is not a not a good one. Yeah, I feel like his parents. I, I don't know. It's probably his parents' fault, or unless they were dumb and they didn't realize that who Christopher Columbus was. 
Yeah. Or maybe they're all Christopher Columbuses. He's like Columbus 8 or something. Do you think he's actually like in the lineage of Christopher Columbus? That would be crazy. Not not impossible. I feel like if he was, I would I would feel like it would be more of a part of his biography though. Yeah, it should be. But at least his, his he doesn't go by Christopher or Topher for that matter. Maybe he so. should. Maybe he should be Topher Columbus. <laughs> Maybe should. Be. I don't think anybody should Can go by give... Topher. That's that's what I'm going to say about that. <clears throat> yeah, there should only be one, and it's Topher Grace. Yeah, and yeah, anybody else with that name should just go back. I think maybe we'll see. I don't know. I'm not a big fan of it. But anyways, can you give us a quick recap? Yeah. uh, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets is the second book in the Harry Potter series, as you mentioned, uh, which takes place over the course of Harry's second year at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. It's kind of like the opposite of the NFL, where people say National Football League, or it's just like the NFL. You have to say National Football League, not NFL. Whereas when you say Hogwarts, you can't just say Hogwarts. You have to say Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and wizardry um it protect the shield protect the shield that's right um it's during this year his second year that the mythical chamber of secrets is opened for the second time in the school's history unleashing a creature that terrorizes the castle petrifying many a student in a race to discover who opened the chamber and who or what is harming the students harry's inner circle of friends is threatened leaving he ron and the buffoonish defense against the dark arts professor Gilderoy Lockhart to enter the chamber to defeat the creature, its master, and the girl who is trapped inside. Ooh. It's a mystery. It's that. it's more of a mystery novel, I think, in a lot of ways. There's some action mm-hmm. to it, obviously, but I, I do... It is pretty, uh, pretty much like a cut-and-dry mystery. It is, yeah. There's a lot of uh, different clues that they have to follow and uh, other things that they have to find out in order to reveal the, the secrets of uh, the chamber. Yeah. It's like a Nancy Drew novel, but... Uh, uh, with a, a male lead yes and we should say that um we forgot to mention this earlier but we are recording this uh on zoom actually because we couldn't get together um due to the snowstorm that we had last night and into this morning and throughout the day actually um so we don't want to drive when it's icy out it's not very responsible i think we we promote responsibility here at little lens and will's got a so. jeep and those aren't known for a very good uh traction well, well, they are known for good traction, but I'm not, I'm not the best driver in snow, so I drive pretty fast. That's fair. So what? Yeah, so, so watch any, any audio quality is, is because of that. But we've, I think we found a good yeah. fix. So knock on wood, this will sound good in your earbuds. <laughs> it took us an hour and a half to figure it out, but we did it. We both have college degrees, so it's, it's, uh, it's impressive. <laughs> yes, it is. So we're going to play a quick game before we get into it uh, called Two Truths, One Lie. Eric, are you ready? I'm ready. You're going to read three statements. Two of them will be a truce. One of them will be a, a, a fib. That's correct. Number one, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets was the second highest grossing film in 2002 behind Spider-Man with uh, Tobey Maguire. Um, number two, Chris Columbus uh, wrote a script for wrote the script for Gremlins uh, and was was just. And the script was discovered and then eventually purchased by uh, George Lucas. Uh, and that's how he got his break into making films. Um, and then the term Dutch angle is actually not, doesn't actually refer to uh, Dutch people. It's actually a bastardization of the word Deutsch, uh, which is German. So that's number three. Those are interesting. Um, the Dutch angle could be true, could be, could be a lie. I- 
I mean, it wouldn't surprise me that the Germans created something and just named it after someone else. It was like, eh, we don't need this. We got enough. We got enough good stuff going on in Germany over here. I think um, <laughs> the the one that really tickles me is the first one because I I didn't think Spider Man came out in two thousand and two. I was thinking Spider Man was an 01 movie. I don't know that to be the case, so I, I'm flagging that as wrong. And the, the second one you said was George Lucas buying Gremlins, and that's how Christopher Columbus got to start. I don't I don't know too much about Christopher Columbus. I, I believe that. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with my gut and say the first one is the lie, just because of that Spider Man thing. So in typical fashion, I fucked up. <laughs> I gave you two lies and one truth. Oh no! Did I did <laughs> I at least get right. one of the lies? Yes, you did. You did. Um, so, <laughs> I'm such an idiot. So, Harry Potter two uh, was the second highest grossing film, but it was behind Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. Spider Man was actually number three that year, but it was 2002. Oh, so it, and then I, it actually I was wrong, ahead. but in my being wrong, I was right. Correct, exactly. Nice. That's where you want to be. Congratulations. That's where you want to be. <laughs> and then um, it, I don't know why I read George Lucas. I sh- it's Steven Spielberg um, who, who uh, discovered Chris Columbus. So we can thank Mr. Spielberg for this film. Uh, but, yeah, the term Dutch angle is actually uh, from the German Deutsch. So, oh, like Deutschland. Yeah, Got exactly. It. So I like it. A little, that's a little uh, film history uh, exactly. you've introduced here, Will. I like it. You're, you're welcome. Um, but I'm just, I do want to read to you the highest grossing films, the top 10 highest grossing films of 2002, because there are some big ones. Are you ready? Hit me. So I, like we just said, the top three are Lord of the Rings, Two Towers, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, number two, Spider-Man, number three, and then Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones is number four, Men in Black 2 is number five, uh, James Bond, Die Another Day is number six. Uh, M. Night Shyamalan's Signs is number seven. Number eight is Ice Age. Number nine is My Big uh, Fat Greek Wedding. And then number 10 is a Tom Cruise classic with Steven Spielberg, Minority Report. Wow. That's a bunch of bangers. Yeah, a bunch of bangers. Um, huge year. I mean, just looking through this list was... I mean, I, I'm surprised Minority Report was so low, but looking at this competition, it's, it kind of makes sense, I guess. Yeah. Huge year for movies. I wonder how that stacks up against some of the other years near it. Like, did that did that do much better than yeah. some of the other years? Because I feel like I've seen yeah. a lot of those movies. Yeah, I've, I think I've seen all of these actually. Um, but uh, except for maybe my big fat Greek wedding. But Lord of the Rings: Two Towers made almost a billion dollars worldwide gross. And then, like we said last night, we were talking about Harry Potter made almost nine hundred million or nine hundred million. And Minority Report only made three fifty. So not everyone can understand bad. Minority Report. Yeah, it's pretty heady. Yeah, pretty hard science fiction. Potentially so. a future little lens there. That's true. So it's a uh, for the dickheads. Yeah, that's right for the dickheads. Tom Cruise, come on the pod. <laughs> um, so we are going to take a quick commercial break, um, and we'll be right back. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It'll help us find more fine listeners like you. And we're back. Thank you from that brief word from Eric. Um, and now we're going to get into a little bit of the book discussion here. So we read it. It's about 340 pages or so, uh, but it's a pretty breezy read. Not too heady, not too uh, sluggish. It's pretty fast. 
Uh, but did you like it? It's it's very fast. Um, you know, I, you mentioned the the Goodreads review of it a little bit earlier. I did some digging, and it has the worst Goodreads rating of all the Harry Potter books. Does it really? Like marginally. It's like, whatever, 4.43, and the, the next lowest is like 4.49 or something. So they're okay. all within a couple of basis points. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, there's... There's a lot of similarities between this book and the first book. I don't mm-hmm. know. We we did the first book a couple of years ago, like mm-hmm. in our one of our first runs of the podcast. And reading through this book again now, I was just like, oh my god! The first hundred pages, they re- repeat like what happened in the first book. Yep. They're like Harry Potter, you know, a boy that's famous for this reason. Ron, a boy that's famous for this reason, and here's how he relates to Harry. Yeah. And you're like Jesus. <laughs> I like. This is a sequel. I, I know all that stuff, right? I'm mm-hmm. not just... I don't know. It, it read sort of weird to me, like, knowing what sequels sequels are supposed to be mm-hmm. and then having that, like, confront me with... Oh, we're recapping in the first 100 pages the book you just read. So thanks for reading that book. We're going to tell you about that book again Yeah. Uh, before we get into this book. Yeah. Um, s- some of the plot was similar. Like, the, both these books end with a showdown with Voldemort or some form of Voldemort mm-hmm. and Dumbledore, who's, you know, the one wizard that Dumbledore fears is mysteriously plot wise driven out of the book. So he can't help. <laughs> yep. Um, which I thought is, you know, we can talk about that. I think it's a little convenient. Yada, yada. For sure. Um, I don't know. I think the, the writing is a bit better than the first book. I, I read the first book right before we started reading this book, just to try to get some of the flow of the story and what was happening. Mm-hmm. I think this book is, better written there's more plot there's more like the characterization is a little bit better Mm -hmm. um i I think there's more setup and payoff i think that that's a little bit better like ron's busted wand ending up with gilderoy lockhart like hurting himself with a memory charm Mm -hmm. all all that stuff is clever it's cool it's cool like i like the idea of the chamber of secrets i don't know it's just it's not my it's my least favorite harry potter book there's a lot of good stuff in here but it's just God damn, it's not as good as the rest. Really? That's how I feel. Yeah. So so you said it's better written than the first one, but you said it's you think it's your least favorite. Yeah. And I'll I'll say that because with the first book there's there's just something that's more magical to the intro mm-hmm. that is like, "Oh, this is a new world, these are new people." And the sequel while being like maybe technically like technically not like I don't know. I, I don't know how to say that any differently, but mm-hmm. while it might be like written better and plotted better and all that stuff, mm-hmm. it's just not as magical. It's yeah. just a, it's, it's just sort of a retread of something that was good, but made a little bit tighter mm-hmm. in a way. And I don't know. I don't, I don't, I just, I just don't care for it as much. I kind of agree with you. I mean, there's, there's certainly something about like a first book that's like a little bit more special because you're introduced to the world and the characters and it's a little bit more fresh and there there are definitely similarities with the way that this one's written like it's you're right like the first 100 pages are like rinse wash repeat from the first where it's kind of the same plot points with a little different things happening obviously but um you're you know i think it's been so long since i read the first one that didn't stick out to me as much when i read it uh but now that you say that you're definitely right that it's very very similar in that sense um but I liked it. I mean, it was, it's a fun read. It's, you know, I think we probably mentioned this on the first one, but I, I was, I think I had all the books, 
but I never read them. Um, I was never super into it. I think I saw the first three or four movies when they came out and was like, oh, you know, not really my thing. Um, but I kind of wish that I had. Um, I feel like I missed out on my childhood, uh, a little piece of it. But um, I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I'm finally got down the second one. Yeah, it's a bit it's a bit different to read them now, knowing that you've read them years ago. Mm-hmm. Where you're like, okay, I remember being 12 and reading this. Or I guess I was probably even a little bit younger. Um, mm-hmm. And just re- remembering like what it was like to be in your bed like after you were supposed to be asleep, but still like staying up to read this. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a bit interesting because like we're not, you know, we're 30, right? And right. we don't consider ourselves that old, but we're like, shit, there's like stuff in our past that we have memories about. Right. Like, sort of, it sort of brings back stuff that is not super far removed, but... It's not not far removed either. No, it's like it's like almost. I wouldn't say fresh memories, but it's it doesn't take too much time to get back to that place. Um, yeah. So so let's get into some of the key themes here. So we have the first one listed as the past slash personal history. Um, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, I think this book um, specifically really hammers home the idea of like what is inherited. Um, there are conversations about bloodlines, like whether somebody's a pure blood or a mud blood and what that means for their station in life as a wizard, right? And that's something that is passed down. You know, y- you keep your wizarding stock. Well, I don't need to explain what pure blood and mud blood are, but, you know, <laughs> the idea that like your father doing something affects you the next generation down. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think too, there is something to like the history of the Chamber of Secrets just that this was something that was open 50 years ago, as they say in the book, and then it's being opened again. Now, what is different between 50 years ago and now? Um, who's you know, being attacked? It sort of shows you that the scars don't really heal always. Like the, the pure-blooded Slytherin's heir is always going to attack the muggle-born, blood-blood sort of people. Um, and it's just a cycle. And I think, you know, you can see that in the world today too, right? There's, there's definitely some parallels to, to the real world in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that makes it's, it's a, a resonant point, but, um, that's, I, I think this book especially like is interested in, in past history and inherited trauma and, you know, sins of the fathers kind of, kind of thing. Yeah, it definitely is. I would I definitely agree with that. I thought it was really interesting to learn more about Hagrid, his past. Um, cause he's kind of this, He's kind of just a if you think about it he's just kind of a weird guy, right? He he lives in his little shed uh off of the castle and he's kind of a part of the community but he's kind of not. He's kind of like shunned away to the forest. Um and I don't think they really get into like why that is in the first book, at least not to my memory. But they get into it a little bit more in this book and that was probably one of the more interesting parts for me. Um just because he's more, he's more of one of the, he's one of the more beloved characters in the book, and they delve into more of his his past and his personal history and how it sort of affects the current state of affairs, um, with the Chamber of Secrets being reopened and everything, everything like that. Um, so I, I did like that. I mean, I'm sure that happens a lot more as you read. I'm sure you can attest to it as you read on into the other books. It probably gets even deeper and deeper, and I think that is is a sign of a good writer probably um just being able to have that like perspective on somebody and that background just gives you more of a full picture of the entire world um and not just you know not just ron 
Hermione and Harry, you know, give us, give us more of like the, the tertiary characters. Yeah. And it, we learned that Hagrid is really, really freaking old because he was in Hogwarts 50 years ago. Yeah. You're thinking like, well, you're in Hogwarts 50 years ago. You were so probably, you had to be at least 11 then. So now you're he's at like 60. least 61. Yeah. He, looks, he doesn't seem 61. But, he looks good know. for 61. Yeah. So. Um, the second theme I want to talk about was choice too. I think, um, Harry is trying to understand a little bit more about himself in book two. He knows he's a wizard, but just exactly what is his place in the wizarding world? Um, as they mentioned quite a bit, you know, in book one, when he put on the sorting hat to be sorted into his house, the sorting hat thought he would do really well in Slytherin and knowing the history of Slytherin house, Harry is sort of curious why he would have been put in Slytherin and and what that means for him. Mm -hmm. Um, and, he has a talk with Dumbledore near the end and they'd essentially just talk about like, you know, your, your characteristics don't make you who you are. It's your ability to choose or to ask for help that ultimately reflects on your character more than like your inherited traits. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think it, it ties in with the past and in sort of like personal history too. Like you can be a, a bad pure blood or a good pure blood, as long as you choose to either help somebody or, or not, you know, mm-hmm. um, but choosing is, uh, is your, is your way to make your way in the world. Yeah. And, it, it certainly plays that up a lot. Um, especially with like Harry, the story or the storyline where Harry is possibly the heir to Slytherin. Um, so, and I want to ask you, so is it, was it really his, was it really the, the hat's choice to put him in Gryffindor? Because the hat was thinking of doing that. And then Harry said, no, please no, or something like that. Um, and then influenced that decision. Like, is it, yeah. w- was it really the hat's choice or was it more? Yeah. Why? Well, I, I guess the, the pushback would be the hat tells you what it thinks and you can accept it or you can say no, mm-hmm. in a, in a, like a, in, in, in an internal way. Right. Mm-hmm. So, Harry just thinking not Slytherin seems to be one of the only examples of somebody turning the sorting hat. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder what the statistics on that are. Everyone just accepts where they, where where they end up. But, um, the Weasleys are classic Hufflepuffs and they all say, please Gryffindor, please Gryffindor. (laughs) They are classic Hufflepuffs. God, bastards. So what's the worst house to be in? Do you think is it, would it, um, like what, which, I think which of them does the least? Was it Ravenclaw? Hufflepuff would be the the lamest, right? If okay. like in the classic sense of the word lame, you would yeah. think Hufflepuffs. But they do have some cool people over the course of the of the book, like Cedric Diggory. Your guy Robert Pattinson is a Hufflepuff. Oh, um, I think probably like Ravenclaws are pretty. They're the smart ones, but they they come up probably the least across the the book there's not a whole lot of ravenclaw characters who are important i'll say but you but you identify with slytherin that's where pottermore put me you know and uh maybe i should have told the sorting hat not slytherin and maybe i'd be somewhere else but you know slytherin i think is above a hufflepuff i think i'm okay with it (laughs) i think you have a little bit of slytherin in you like that's okay i can speak to snakes i I don't know what that means but (laughs) parcel tongue so yeah. the third one, the third theme you have here is loneliness. Um, tell me a little bit more about that. 
I think a lot of these are, are intertwined, but just the idea of not fully understanding where you fit in in the world um, and wanting that outlet to sort of talk about that or, or to have someone help you understand what it, what it means. Um, in this book, like Ginny is the big lonely character, right? She, she doesn't have a way to express herself outwardly. And so she turns into the pages of this 50 year old diary and spills her soul and doesn't realize that it's going to like build up Voldemort strength, but she's doing it anyway because she feels like she doesn't have any, any other out. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, I mean, I think it runs a little bit parallel to Harry and what we've said where Harry is, Harry's not sure what his, uh, position is in life either. Right. Like he's a, a wizard living in a muggle world a lot of the time. Um, he's a, a wannabe Slytherin maybe living in a Gryffindor world a lot of the time. And he, uh, I, th I think is a little bit lost. You can see that, um, in this book as well. Yeah. And like you said, Ginny is incredibly lonely throughout the movie or in, in the book as well. And she, um, uh, pops up at random times and you can tell that there's something wrong with her. Um, maybe emotionally. Um, but another one, um, and you're, and you're certainly right about Harry because he's having sort of this internal conflict where he is certainly not lonely in the physical sense because he's always around Ron or, or Hermione, but um, he's certainly lonely um, from an internal sense because he doesn't really have a lot of people who he can specifically relate to. Um, and so he's kind of having to figure things out on his own in that sense. Um, but yeah, so you're definitely right. I mean, loneliness is, is probably a big... Uh, big factor in this and that's probably a part of just growing up right it's like you're 11 12 years old like you're trying to figure out who you are and you're trying to you know find your place in the world um and then you know voldemort is trying to kill him i mean like what, do you, what is he supposed to do it's ridiculous that's true it's tough to be both lonely and hunted by uh, the greatest dark wizard that the world has ever seen that's not a good place that's not where you want to be <laughs> No, it's definitely not. Um, but Voldemort, I mean, he's over two. I mean, this is what's wrong with him. Well, you you miss a hundred you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. So it's all about volume. It's like the James Harden offense. He also if I see misses. Harry, I'm, I'm coming for him. You he know? also misses a hundred percent of the shots that he does take. So yeah, well, <laughs> so far one of, one of them will go down. You haven't read to the end of the series. Yeah, you don't. One of them might connect. You don't. That's know. true. That's true. I doubt it, but we'll see. <laughs> Um, and then, so we have a new question for um, the book discussion. What parts of the novel were you excited to see adapted into the film? Yeah, I'm interested to hear your perspective on this too. But um, what I remember as a kid is that I was so excited for the duel scene. I had this plastic toy from Toys R Us or wherever that had like Harry on one side, Draco on the other side, and you could like smash buttons and they would fire like little like curses at each other charms at each, whatever mm -hmm. like there would be like little sparks that would fly i just thought that was so so cool and i remember reading this like oh my god this dueling club is awesome i can't wait to see these actors fight and actually use magic for like action purposes right so mm -hmm. that was the, that was the big one to me um and in a smaller sense i was i was interested in gilderoy lockhart he's such yeah. a buffoonish blowhardy <laughs> yep like goofy character who's also really funny um i was like this guy is gonna be great on screen mm -hmm. yeah for me um it was probably the uh the quidditch scene again because i remember watching the quidditch scene um 
in the first one and being like kind of blown away by it. And then I was certainly interested in doing that again. And then as well, the, uh, when he breaks his, not when he breaks his arm, but then when, uh, Lockhart like gives him that spell where it's just like a base piece of rubber, basically that I was interested in seeing. Um, and then as well as the, at the end, um, with the spiders, because I remember the first book uh, or the first movie really having an impact on me when they went to the, uh, the centaur, I think it is right. In, in the yeah. uh, Forbidden Forest. That, for whatever reason, that scene always stuck out with me after watching it. And I, I'm not really sure why. Maybe because it was just, like, unique or whatever. Um, so I was excited to get back to that place. And I have to tell you, I was a little bit let down when I saw it. So Spiders? Yeah. Yeah, just that scene. I mean, it didn't have the same effect on me as when I saw the Forbidden Forest in the first movie. Maybe because I it was kind of the same thing. Um, but I was... I wasn't really that scared of the spider, although it was huge. It was enormous. And I would have been scared if I was there in person, obviously. But um, after having uh, that IPAX, I don't think I, I would think I was ready for anything. Yeah. You're like, the spiders are really creepy, though. You're like, I cannot deny my horde fresh meat when it wanders so willingly <laughs> that's into true. our midst. Yeah, that's Goodbye, true. friends of Hagrid. <laughs> that, 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 is, that is creepy stuff. Yeah, I also true. just want to say that I mentioned this yesterday when we were watching it, but... Um, <laughs> When I was a kid, I thought that I would be a good casting for Tom Riddle. Yes. And um, I, I was obviously a little bit young for the part. He's 16, and I would have been like 11 or 12. Um, and I also was not never tall, dark, and handsome, and so it, it, it didn't really work for me. Yeah, you're, I think who they casted was perfect. He was pretty good. That guy was pretty good. I remember you mentioned that last night. We were watching it with your wife, and she vehemently opposed your opinion. I know. That was kind of messed up, wasn't it? It was a little messed up. Yeah, she should have I, been supporting. Would have been, uh, yeah, I'd be a good like Charlie Weasley or, yeah, for sure, like an American, an American Weasley cousin. Yeah, like flies in every, you know, every school year from the from the states. Yeah, I don't do accents, so I probably couldn't play it in Hogwarts. But I mean, you could do accent if you wanted, but you choose not to, right? That's yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> I choose not to. Um, well, cool. Is there anything else you want to say about the book? No, um, I think another cool scene is is the flying car. Yeah, I just want to log that. that I thought cool. that was that was cool, but other than that, no. I um, we did mention um, that the uh, the special effects. So this movie was released in '02, and the special effects were actually they held up. And it's 2021. It's been you know almost 20 years since that movie was released, and the special effects are like pretty damn good. Yeah, they're very good. I heard a story that. Uh, um, Richard Harris, who plays Dumbledore, thought that Fox the Phoenix was real, and he was like blown away. He was like, "I can't believe you guys got that bird to act so good." And they were like, "It's not a real bird, Richard. Oh, jeez, it's, it's an animatronic bird. That's not. That's good. why it's doing so good." He was well. Phoen- Phoenixes aren't real. He he died pretty soon after that, so I think <laughs> he might have yeah. been uh, might have been deteriorating at that point. Yeah, maybe he wasn't thinking right. Yeah, <laughs> jeez. But um, I, I did read earlier today that the it took them nine months just to do the special effects. Wow. Which is like kind of crazy. Like you have maybe a team of people working on that. And I guess it does take a lot of time to like, it's literally creating digital art. So that probably takes time. But to think of it as like nine months, it's like damn. For, yeah. you know, less than three hour movie, like that's, seems like a long time. But maybe back then it took longer because it was, worse technology 
Yeah, but it was great. You're you're definitely right. You watch it and you're like, shit, this is from 2002. It yeah, looks, looks like it's from 2012 or 2020. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we're gonna get into Richard more Richard Harris stuff later, so be prepped and excited. But we're gonna take a quick break um, and hear a quick word from our sponsor. Do you have an idea for an episode? Tell us what it is. Tweet at us. Find us on Instagram. Follow us for updates and general musings at Lit2Lens. And we're back. Thank you for that brief word uh, from myself. And now we are going to get into the film discussion here. Uh, But before we do that, we have some jokes for you guys, as always. Um, Eric, would you like to go first? Yeah. All right. Will, why do people have a hard time remembering Lord Voldemort's real name? I don't know. Because it's a riddle. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, really want to be Tom Riddle, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's not my best joke, but I think it's probably, like, somewhere in the middle there. Yeah, it's not bad. I mean, I had I took a second for me to be like, oh, yeah, Tom Riddle, I forgot. Yeah, there's a lot of jokeable material in here for sure. Um, yeah. I really wanted something with Dobby, but I just couldn't, I couldn't put my finger on it. Yeah. I couldn't – I actually had a hard time. Uh, coming up with a joke and it, I don't think mine is very good but I think you're gonna laugh regardless I, I don't need to pity you <laughs> okay good that works too <laughs> um, so Christopher Columbus didn't realize um, <laughs> just like his uh, his ancestor he didn't realize uh, what he was doing until it, it had already happened um, which was he didn't realize he was uh, shooting Dutch angles until the film premiere um, he was actually just drunk during the film process. It's it not seems really like a it. joke. It's <laughs> <laughs> Christopher Columbus, alcoholic. You will it's just my opinion. Out. You it's heard it here first. Opinion. I mean, you're definitely right. The movie is like, there's so many Dutch angles. It, is, it was it's, like yeah. a little bit insane. It's way too many. And I mean, it kind of works. I kind of like it, honestly. Like it, it brings more tension, you know? And they only do it really for like when he's about to duel with somebody like at the end when he was dueling with Lucius Malfoy like Lucius Malfoy was at the tilt, the Dutch tilt angle and it's for like high intense scenes but yeah well tension I like it you don't have to explain to me Dutch angles well I, I, I mean, know all about know, the Dutch you, angles yeah I doubt it <laughs> I just didn't know why they were called Dutch angles but now I do yeah you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into the movie discussion um Eric did you like it um ish ish i think i thought this movie was just i thought this movie was just fine there's definitely some magic into it magic in it um and i i know why it is part of a beloved series but i definitely think this is a a, an okay movie that is a way station to bigger and better things coming down the road i think it i think it's a bit different that like i know what happens next and so i'm not i can't Mm -hmm. really judge this anymore like in its as a movie i had now have to judge it based on like its ability to extend the story and that way like maybe you know harry potter and marvel has ruined me watching movies where you're just like okay here's this is set up i see that that's a setup i see that mm-hmm. and it's harder to enjoy it but i, I just there's like <sighs> the movie takes what is good about the book and puts it on the screen but with like a little bit less connective tissue 
Like it makes just a little bit less sense in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would I would have to agree with that. And then you know it's it's funny we were mentioning last night um, how like fast everything seemed to be in the very beginning, uh, maybe the first hour or so. It seemed to be like almost rushed, and but it was that kind of runs counterintuitive to the the length of the film, which is two hours and forty something minutes, which is kind of crazy, um, especially for. Um, I think it's like 340 page book, but still it just, it it, it kind of dragged on towards the end. And I kind of think that they left certain scenes like the the final scene um, just almost like too much time. Do you know what I mean? It felt like that was like a 30 minute or more scene. And as as well as the scene with the, with Hagrid and um, Dumbledore in his, uh, in his house with, and then them having to go to, Aragon, or is that is that what the name of the the spider is? Yeah, Aragog is the That's spider. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aragog. Sorry, I said Aragon. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, I mean, I, I liked it um, just for the fact that it was, you know, it, it hit those magical uh, beats, if you will, um, that the first one did. Uh, but it it did seem kind of long. But I would say I enjoyed it more than the first one. I haven't seen the other ones, at least not in a long time. So I know you have a biased opinion towards this one. You said it was, I think you said it was the, your least favorite of the series. Yeah. Book and movie, I think. This is this is in the basement. Dang. Well, I, I think with Harry Potter, it's so protected. Like our, our podcast, like this whole Little Lens project, like the Harry Potter Little Lens people are up in arms when something is different, something has been changed. I think it's it's mm-hmm. like them and maybe Star Wars people as like the most mm-hmm. fervent, excitable fan bases. And I mean, they kudos to the people here. We can get into the next question, which is what is this adaptation? It's a literal adaptation, but I think if you're literalizing the worst book, I mean, you're going to get the worst movie. That's just, yeah, I don't know. That's math, right? That's just math. <laughs> one plus one equals two. Make yeah. it checks out. Yeah. So, yeah, so you said it was literal. Um, do you think they strayed a lot away or from the book, like even in some certain sections, or do you think it was pretty like across the board? It was It was pretty down the middle, right? I mean, you, there are a couple of scenes that were left out. I think people talk about the headless hunt when he they go to like the death day party. I guess it's the, not the headless hunt, the death day party. That doesn't exist. Um, there is an elimination of some of like, characters and plots certainly like there's no the caretaker filch he is like a non he's a squib in the book and that's not really mentioned here percy doesn't have a girlfriend here percy is way more of a character in the book than he is in the movie he he doesn't yeah. really factor in much at all right yep um and his girlfriend a frame a ravenclaw there's a there's like a single ravenclaw for you who, who's doing there anything she gets we cut out of the one. movie pretty pretty big <laughs> thank god um so i don't know but a lot of those things like don't really matter like we don't really need percy to have relationships we don't really need to show the head uh or the death day party um i think a lot of the stuff they did cut was just extra erroneous stuff the book goes to pretty i would say great pains to show harry like hearing the basilisk voice in the in the walls and being like oh what is this you know yeah, yeah, ri- yeah, yeah. rip me tear me kill me um, and he's like, what, what is that? Um, it goes to great pains to create a like guilty Harry where he's always showing up 
at the scene of the crime. And there's always a million people there being like, Harry, what are you doing here? And he's like, I don't know. I'm always here, though. <laughs> and I think the movie did like smartly cut some of that stuff out. It's like we just don't need him following the walls for four or five different times. That you could do that. I mean, uh, that would look very weird, but they shouldn't, and they didn't, and that is probably for the best. I do this, think, this, like with with Percy, it's just like Percy's the the most boring of the Weasleys, and I I just was confused in the book why he was getting more stuff to do than Fred or George, who are way more important. So that was mm-hmm. that was weird to me. Do you think um, it would have been better served if they had more of Ginny, or do you think that was better that they left her kind of? on her own island and left, you know, kind of had the reveal at the end. I think the Ginny stuff was good. I think it was good. Um, she's definitely like a shadowy character who she, she moves in the shadows and they're like, Oh, that's Ginny. What's Ginny doing? I don't know. It's like, Oh, yeah. she's so, she wants to meet you, Harry. And like all that stuff. And it's definitely foreshadowing like what's to come between Ginny and Harry too. But uh, I mm-hmm. think leaving her in that role kind of worked out well. Yeah. So um, let's get into some of the differences. Uh, you mentioned here that there was no headless hunt. Um, did that upset you? Maybe was I, did you like that? No. I mean, of all the differences, the one that I thought was like the hokiest was the, and we talked about how we kind of liked the, the flying car. So to answer mm-hmm. your question about the, the ghost, like that didn't bother me at all. I think that was just an, a way for them to put in more like, listening to the basilisk move through the walls and it was like we can do that some some more like a different way um mm-hmm. the car scene where they take the flying car and fly it up to the hogwarts express and they almost get run over and then they harry almost flies out the window i was like <clears throat> okay i mean i get it this is a movie and that's that's why harry is about to fly out of the car <laughs> i was like uh yeah do you think you had that same reaction when you saw it when you were in your teens no i was probably like holy shit harry's gonna die i can't believe it <laughs> it's a little bit different when, when you watch it as an older older man yeah well now i'm thinking like okay so did the weasleys just leave their car open did they just leave the keys inside that ron could come and start it like that's yeah. stupid that is stupid. Doing, well they did i mean they yeah they just left the car there too i mean yeah i don't know yeah well, kids I don't really have it. responsibilities I definitely see it from more of the like parents' point of view, although I'm not a parent. Like more of the adult point of view. Yeah, like why would they do that? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I'm just like sit your ass yeah. on the ground and wait for them to come back out of the <laughs> station. I don't know. Yeah. You, you must. There's got to be people that miss the Hogwarts Express every year. And what do they do? Right. Right. Come, come on. Come on. Um, but um, you go ahead. Sorry. Well, there's a couple other things that I, I wanted to run through. I think one of the weird misses is the polyjuice potion. Um, scenes like in the book they have to steal some of the ingredients from Snape and they have to get this like powerful potions book from the restricted section of the library and in this movie that's all like totally alighted Hermione's like oh I want to make this very dangerous potion that changes my appearance into someone else and now I can it's done that's it yeah it took almost no time at all yeah they mentioned it takes a month but they just removed a little drama that's all right like yeah um i thought that was i i don't like i didn't like that i, w- I wish they left some of that drama in um mm-hmm. another one i'll mention is some of the Ginny harry stuff like in the book Ginny has tom riddle's diary realizes its power throws it in the toilet 
Harry retrieves it. She sees Harry with it, gets scared, and like ransacks his room to take it back. Mm-hmm. And this movie, she never sees him with it, but still ransacks his room. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I didn't pick up on that. Um, that is a that is kind of a small detail that that doesn't make sense now. Yeah, like well, how would she know that he had it? Yeah, I just it's like it's just like the polyjuice potion. It's just a little bit of a missed connective thread that would have been better had it existed. And because it didn't, you're like, this is not as well, good. How does she? Right. Yeah. True. Yeah. Well, and that probably only takes like thirty a thirty second scene, maybe. Yeah. You so so Ginny in Dutch angle looking at Harry in the Dutch angle. <laughs> She's like, shit. Go. He's got my diary. Come on. Come on, Chris Columbus. Yeah. Horrible. And then we have a Ford Anglia sequence is, uh, you said is way more dramatic. Why is that? Well, yeah, that's the, the car scene where he's flailing outside. I don't know. It's just oh, like, sorry. you're right. Yeah. Movie. It's movie stuff. I don't know. Yeah, movies, yeah. It's a little too much. Uh, and then no filters, a squib. Yeah. No filters, a squib. Um, I don't know why they didn't do that. Like, I guess it's just easier to not have to explain that. Maybe it's just a little bit faster if Filch is just like hurt by Miss Norris being petrified and he's just kind of a a jerk to begin with. Yeah, it certainly makes him in the movie a little bit more like less sympathy towards him, I think, right? Yeah. Like if in the book it's more sympathy if you realize that he's a squib and you're like, oh, okay, like he you know you feel a little bit more bad for him but now you're just like this guy's kind of a fucking asshole yeah fuck this guy what's what's his name in game of thrones um walter frey walter frey so he plays a he plays kind of you know yeah. scum, scummy characters yeah i don't know the actor's name i can't remember but he is i, I do like him yeah um and then the final one we have is the polyjuice potion oh no we already mentioned that so sorry yeah i did want to hit two quick more that i i, that okay. I thought of um, I, I do think it was pretty strange at the very end in the Dobby sequence where Harry frees Dobby, Lucius Malfoy, who is Dobby's owner is like super pissed and is about yeah. to like, just, he's about to like throw the killing curse at Harry in the hallway of Hogwarts, 10 feet from Dumbledore's office, like right. straight up, like you little 12 year old, <laughs> I'm about to murder your ass. And then Dobby like saves the day. I was like, who, who would do that? A crazy adult. You just throw in the killing curse. Just you kill just like, a child. It's not like I can't get another house elf. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, right. Come on, you're gonna kill a kid. That just—it shows you how bitter that the uh, Slytherins are in the Malfoys specifically. Yeah, they can't let anybody else win. Um, and then the last thing I would mention here is—I think you brought this up last night—but like Dumbledore is pretty sidelined in this movie. He doesn't do a whole mm-hmm. lot. Um, and I was thinking about it, and it was like, well, Dumbledore is the only person, in addition to Hagrid, who kind of knows what happened 50 years ago. And it's sort of on him, right? <laughs> when the Chamber of Secrets opens, why the fuck is he not like, okay, Voldemort is here somewhere. We got to do something about this. He's very, like, chill. He's like, all right, well, you know, why don't you just stick with your prefects and walk in a single-file line and go to bed early? But he's not, like, actively <laughs> looking for Voldemort. That's true. I mean, that's a really good point. Like, w- he knows, right? He knows that it should – it's Voldemort. Yeah. Or he, he says sh- it. At least he should, unless he forgot. 
<laughs> maybe he did. Maybe oh, he's like, who's Tom Riddle again? Is that a? Is that a guy? And that's who's another that? thing, Will. Is that like, if there was a very famous dark wizard who went by a fake name, you would know his real fucking name, wouldn't you? You should. You I should. Mean, right? You should. Dumbledore should hold the L for this one, I think. Right? Yeah. For this movie. Yeah. Where were you, Dumbledore? It's all his fault. Where it's was Dumbledore? Yeah. I, said that's it. I think we're right. I think that's right. So, you know, we, we have a lot of love for Richard Harris, obviously. But, yeah. I don't think that the Dumbledore um, fan club can really defend him in this one. The Dumbledorks. <laughs> are uh, taking the L here. You're right. Fucking dorks. Um, so, Eric, was this adaptation successful in your opinion? I think I think not. Um, at least personally for me, there's there's too much of this that I either didn't care for or like didn't want to see. Like the way they translated it, just it, it made less sense than the way it was in the book. And so, mm-hmm. for that reason. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit this with a, a, this was a not successful adaptation. Okay. I disagree. I think it was successful um, because I don't really have a reason. I just think it was successful. It You're a dumb dork. There you go. I'm, a <laughs> I'm an apologist for Richard Harris. Yeah, that's fair. So, um, and then we have some hot takes. Are you ready for this? Yeah, you go, you guys go first. I've been I've been okay. a little hot today, but I got I got another one that I think is going to be spicy. So, so my hot take uh, is Richard Harris peaked in the final years of his life uh, because he was actually he was pretty pretty damn good in this movie. His voice is like incredible, uh, and he was obviously in the first first movie, and then he was um, Marcus Aurelius in Gladiator in two thousand or ninety nine maybe. Um, which is like what a what an incredible like final films of your film career to be Good a run. part of like great run like best picture and then like some of the most popular films of of all time. Yeah, I agree. So, I don't know what I don't really know what he did like earlier in his life. I looked at it uh, yesterday and then again today, and nothing really stood out. I mean, I, I'm sure some of those were pretty successful, but I don't think they. I'd never heard of them. So yeah. Therefore, in my you know, I am the gatekeeper for those kind of things. So yeah, we're team Richard Harris as Dumbledore for sure on this podcast. Definitely. All right, Give my hot take. Um, well, why are there no Quidditch boosters? Here's something I was thinking of today. <clears throat> when you think about like, perf- or uh, college sports on a mm-hmm. big time level, like Duke basketball, none of those kids are buying their own sneakers or uniforms, but. At Hogwarts, the fucking biggest amateur Quidditch league in Great Britain. Fred and George Weasley are riding on brooms that their, like, poor parents bought for them. Clean sweep sevens or whatever. And Mm -hmm. yet Draco Malfoy's dad buys him the Nimbus 2001. My question is, why are the fucking rich Gryffindors who are not, like, outfitting Team Gryffindor with new robes, new brooms every year? You know, Duke men's basketball, those kids aren't wearing, like, Chuck Taylors from 94. What are we doing? I mean, that's a good question. Everyone should be riding in a Nimbus 2001. That's, <laughs> that's it. It's, a fucking, it's, the top, it's the top amateur league in England, Will. That's true, it is. It is. You're right. 
I mean, what is Gryffindor doing? Like, what are we doing? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm actually mad about this. I was thinking about this for a long time today. <laughs> but do we know of any, you know, kind of argument, counterpoint here? Do we know of any rich Gryffindor families? I mean, Harry certainly isn't one. Ron, not really. And I mean, I don't, I don't want to call her Hermione, but she's a, she's a mudblood. So I mean, but th- if you could, can well, mudbloods even do that? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. mean, it's curse a- on the pod, but. That's a good question. I, I, if you think about like every single wizard from England and Ireland um, and maybe like Wales, it goes to Hogwarts. Every single You're not one. Say Scotland. I don't know if Scotland does. Maybe they. I think they Brexited before. Maybe uh, Scotland. Maybe. I don't. I, they, I don't think there are any Scottish people in the books. I could be wrong. And people oh, might yell at us. But yeah, my point probably. is like every single wizard from the islands goes through the school. Some of them have to be successful. Right. That's true. And you would think. And if Quidditch is this big sport, why is the amateur level not corporatized and you know, fucking capitalist? It's why is this not like Texas football? You know, it's probably not tell. It's because it's not televised. Probably. Yeah. So that's it's my hot take. Remain a secret. Well, uh, I, spicy. Pay the fucking players. That's all. That's all there is. <laughs> And then, uh, Eric, give me your movie or book. Uh, I'm going. I'm going book. It's my least favorite book, but I, I think it it is better than this movie, which is slightly worse. Yeah, I would have to agree with you. I'm going book as well. I think that's one of the few times we agreed. So first time for everything, you know. There you go. Congratulations. And then uh, some final thoughts. What will you remember from the movie? Um, Dobby. I really like Dobby. Uh, I think he's pretty pretty funny. My dad, for the last twenty years, has been doing the Dobby voice, and so that's has it really. It's pretty stuck in my head. <laughs> um, my uh, what I re- will remember from the movie is the the great Richard Harris. I, you know, I didn't remember re- watching the first one, and when and when I saw him in this movie, I was just like, oh my god, like I forgot how good he is. And he's just great. Yeah. Uh, what about the book? I think, like I said before, it just says it's a way station for better things in the series. It's a stopping ground. We had the it first is. book, which is great. The third book, arguably one of the best. Um, and this book just came in the middle of them, and that that's too bad. That's tough. What about you? I'm, I'm sorry you feel that way. Uh, for me, the constant annoyance of Gilderoy Lockhart um, which I grew to love. I just was super annoyed with him as I was reading. Like, this guy is just such a buffoon. And then I accepted, you know, who he was and was like, you know what? I can find um, some happiness in this, in his, in his buffoonery. And I enjoyed it. I liked it. I'm glad you found happiness. That's really, that's what reading should do, right? That's true. That's true. Um... So I think that about wraps it up for this one. This is kind of a weird episode for us, we want to mention, um, because it's not tied to a season. Um, this year, we're, we're actually adjusting our format going forward. So we did want to have uh, a couple of notes on that, um, if you've made it this far in the episode, which we appreciate. Um, our next episode, Eric, what's it going to be on? Well, we're doing we're doing Oscar book season. Mm-hmm. I can't remember yep. which are. I think we're doing Ma Rainey's, right? 
Yes, that's right. Black Ma Rainey's Bottom. Black Bottom, a play by August Wilson, um, written in the 80s, or published in the 80s. Um, uh, now a, a movie on Netflix starring the late Chadwick Boseman and Viola Davis, among others. Yeah. And then, so we're going to try and hit uh, five, We th- what we think, or at least what we have found to be the um, most likely to be nominated for adapted screenplay um, at the, at the I think it's the April Oscars, you said? Yeah. Right? Late April. So, late April Oscars. So, um, which includes Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, uh, which includes um, The Father, um, which includes uh, Nomadland, uh, a film called First Cow, which was based on a book called The Half Life, and then uh, One Night in Miami, which is a Regina King joint. Um, Yeah. So, a lot of plays. Yeah, three plays. Um, I don't think we've ever done a play before. We did Fences. That's true. We did fences. I think that's the only one we've done, but yeah. So another August Wilson, also an August Wilson. Yeah. 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 Um, so we're going to try and hit all those in the next, uh, three months or so. Um, so we're going to be releasing, um, some episodes a little bit more quickly. Um, we're we're actually going to be changing the structure of little lens as well. We're going to be, um, adding more episodes. So we're going to be having, um, pre episode episodes, right, Eric? Um, Yes, so you're right. basically, we're going to be basically be talking about, um, you know, w- you know why we're doing this episode, you know, what we think about it and stuff like that. Kind of like what we do now, but what the intro will be about that, um, the pre-episode, and then the meat and juice and uh, the nuts and bolts will be uh, in the main episode, the flagship episode. So, and then we'll also have uh, a season episode. So kind of talking about exactly why we decided to choose these books and stuff and, and, and have this season. Yeah. Trying some new things, trying to hit the season theme a little bit harder here. So let us know if you like it, if you, if you want more, uh, don't tell us you want less because you're, you're not going to get it. <laughs> and if you have any suggestions, um, you know, we haven't set up uh, the seasons for the rest of the year yet. So feel free to let us know what you think, or if you have any um Good ideas. We're yeah, absolutely. Our inbox is always open. Yes. And um, Eric, would you like to have any shout outs? Um, no shout outs this episode. Um, you know, n- no one really deserved it. N- nobody nobody deserved it from this from this works. I agree. So next so, time. We'll shout out. We'll shout out um, next time. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, um, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye.